electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Only the greatest debate in the market right now. Is the environment bullish or bearish for your money? The Investment Committee tackling that big question this Friday. And joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington. She's managing partner at Requisite Capital Management. Steve Weiss is here. Rob Seachin, the co-founder and managing partner of New Edge Capital Group. Michael Farr, the president of Farr, Miller and Washington. John Nigerian as well. Let's go to the markets. Dee just told you about the Nasdaq turning negative. Its growth is looking for its first positive week in five the Dow is positive by better than 200. S&P's positive. The 10-year note yield at 162. It's been a turbulent week. And it ends with, Bryn, what I'm calling Pisani's great debate. Because I thought Bob laid it out so perfectly earlier. And I want you guys to weigh in on this key question. The bear case. Peak everything. This is as good as it gets. The bull case. Fed's going to get it right. Why are you so worried about it? They've got it under control. Earnings are going to be great. The economy is going to boom and everything's going to be OK. Bryn, which is it? Bull case, bear case? Well, maybe maybe it's somewhere in the middle, but I will say this. How can it not be as good as it gets when from February of 2020 to April of 2021 last month, We've had 54% of GDP in fiscal and monetary stimulus. We have a great consumer, fantastic earnings. And so you have this mosaic of so much overstimulus, also healthy balance sheets. So I think it, this, this year could easily be as good as it gets because I don't know how growth can be so strong going forward once the Fed stops to inject $120 billion per month and once, the, once Washington stops putting trillions of dollars of new spending into the economy. That's just not sustainable. So I think right now in the short term, you're going to continue to have this churn in the market with an upward bias. But I think that investors need to be cautious in terms of understanding that the last year and a half has been incredible in terms of the amount of manipulation, we'll say, a lot of it needed from the fiscal and monetary side. Well, upward bias, you just use those words. Does that mean you're dialing mm -hmm. up risk or dialing it down for your clients? Yeah, well, you know, we're, we actually last week in our aggressive portfolios, which were 100 percent equities, you know, we dialed that down because from an asset allocator, which is what which is what we do, you have to do it ahead of time. And so we are looking to put together long term portfolios and you can't wait to dial down risk once it's upon us, because as we know, these sell offs that we've had really over the last five or six years, they happen really quick and really soon. And I just once again, there is not a playbook that I can go back in history and say, when you had a pandemic, over 50% stimulus in the market from, as, it, as it relates to GDP, how does this play out? And I do feel that even though the Federal Reserve has 780 PhDs, so like the most expensive research firm out there, 
I do think they are going to be behind the eight ball, and I think they're going to let this go longer. And when they start to taper, I think the market will absolutely have to create a new playbook. And so for that reason, I don't see the playbook, how it plays out. We are dialing down risk. Okay, Steve Weiss, I mean, I I can see anybody on this panel and frankly, any market participant who's watching or is doing whatever they're doing today, make a case for either one of these and it would be credible. I mean, you could make the case that this is peak everything. How could it be better than what it's going to be now with an exploding economy? Or I could say, you know what, I believe in the Fed. I think the Fed is, is going to get it right. I think earnings are going, to, are going to rip roar. And I don't think the market's factoring that in at all. I think it thinks the opposite, maybe. Where do you come down? Well, I think you're talking about two different time frames. So for me, I think you're closer to as good as it gets than you are to, hey, everything's so bullish. I agree with Bryn, upward bias. But money is still free, and it's getting more free. You take a look at the four-week note auction yesterday, and it came in, as my friend Charlie White pointed out, at zero interest rate. That's down six bips from the last one. And it just wasn't one buyer. The book was covered four times. So money is literally free. It's staying free. And we've also seen a disconnect okay. right now then, between then, the why, why don't you just stop there? Sir. Right? Why, why don't you just stop there? Sorry to interrupt you. I'm interrupting you on purpose. Right. Because when you say money yep. is free... Period, exclamation point. Why isn't that the end of the story right there? Because it's not going to stay free. Because you're going to continue to see the market move ahead of the Fed. Right now, Fed. Right now, you've got a momentary respite. So you've seen the 10-year move down from a 1.7 now to a 1.6. It's down today. You've seen correlations break down between technology. We're seeing Nasdaq down today, despite the 10-year yield being lower. So I think that's momentary. We'll get inflation numbers again next month. I expect them to be strong. So what you truly have to have here is sort of what I've done. I also dial down risk, as I've mentioned on the show over the last few weeks, but I'm taking rifle shots. We're coming out of an environment where everything worked. You had to do no work at all. It was strictly momentum. Now it's going to be very stock specific, not even sector specific, stock specific. And your time frame now has to expand. The days of immediate gratification, in my view, are completely over or will be over relatively soon. So it's okay to be invested, but now you really have to take that longer time frame and you have to be opportunistic. Okay, I mean, Michael Farr, did I just simplify it too much in going back at Weiss and saying money is flowing everywhere? That's a that's a good thing. Does doesn't that trump all of the concerns that people have in the market? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Judge, I think you've got it right. I think I think and I hate saying this, but I think Weiss's answer was right. I mean, it's a it's a short term and a long term answer. The cash is there. And I think it's probably early to be dialing down the risk. Look, we still have a ton of government program spending that still hasn't gotten into this economy yet. They're still waiting to spend. They're still waiting to vote more money and more stimulus infrastructure. Everything else is still coming at us. The Fed used the word transitory eight times in their minutes. Eight times I counted the word transitory. So they're, they're trying to tell us they're going to sit on their hands, that this isn't going to be a long-term problem. But, Judge, the thing that's not transitory here is wage inflation, right? Those wages aren't coming back down. They are going up. Those costs get passed on. So 
The question is, and I think you, you're right, does the Fed have the tools to stop this? I think the answer is yes. Will it be ugly if they really get to that point? Will they let it run too long? I think they're going to let it run too long. I think that this thing expands. I think that this market ends up a good deal higher than we are now by the end of the year. Will there be a piper to pay? There usually is in markets. But forecasts for earnings growth on top of this year's fabulous earnings growth are like, you know, 14, 15, 16 percent next year on top of this year. It's hard to bet against stocks. But the value shift has been hugely important. Value stocks with dividends up 17 percent year to date versus growth stocks. Russell 1000 growth up five well, and a quarter percent. Right. So you have to know what you own to Weiss's point. I think it's be- and this is what Stephanie Link has been saying, too. Rob Seachin, you know, to Michael Farr's point about what growth versus value is doing, you, you have growth trying to put in its first positive week in five. Seach, you mm-hmm. sold Salesforce. You trimmed Amazon. I'm looking at the Bank of America flow show. You've had the largest outflow from tech funds since December of 18. That doesn't tell me that people are looking for a lot of traction in the tech space. Your moves included. Yeah, I think some of our moves, though, were dealing with we thought to be high priced stocks and we had a ton of success in those names. So uh, for Amazon, it was right sizing for for Salesforce. It was more that we saw better opportunities um, in the market that we wanted to deploy cash to. And I think what's interesting on tech right now is that you have a week where tech kind of felt like it was bottoming. As Steve said, you had had interest rates kind of moving around and tech not really acting in a coordinated way. And so it looked like investors were starting to try to find a bottom. And we think we are building a bottom in quality tech. We like quality tech. And so we're focusing our energy there where there's a little more, a little less uh, high prices and a little more opportunity. And I think we, we expected volatility. We've been writing about this. We still like equities, but we're prioritizing cash flow. And one of the reasons, Scott, was that this recovery is just so different than any, including the Great Recession. Um, the speed of this disruption and then the following rebound, we, we kind of titled the piece, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It led to worker dislocations, supply chain disruptions, mismatches of employees, and we just need more time. And so we are using this volatility uh, to take advantage of uh, positioning for what we think to be is going to be a stronger well, end with a bumpier beginning. Look, I just don't know that the market, specifically the NASDAQ, is telling you bottom at this point. I go back to our conversation yesterday with. Yeah, but I go back to our conversation with Jonathan Krinsky yesterday, right, of Baycrest, who looks at the technicals as closely as as anybody in the market. And his big deal was the Nasdaq's been holding its uptrend line for nearly a year. But after last week's test, it has quickly come back to visit it, which is typically a sign of weakness. It once again defended the line today, but we think it's only a matter of time before it gives way. He's looking for more downside in tech doesn't believe the action you're looking at this week. And the moment, Rob, it almost feels like you should believe in the NASDAQ, it lets you down. Not all techs created equal, though, Scott, right? I mean, I think there's some really high-priced tech out there, but there's some really reasonably priced tech out there. And let's be clear, we are still overweight 
the cyclical value trade. That trend was put in place in September. We were very early there. We did really, really well. Now what we're saying is that diversification makes sense. Okay, we have an environment where there's so much uncertainty that when the uncertainty clears, we're gonna start to get a cadence as to where we direct our incremental investment. We still think that's cyclical in nature. However, it does not mean that you don't put weight on the other ski. I think tech, um, given the growth characteristics and given the fact that, you know, if you're not buying the really high priced items that are really exposed to rising rates, they haven't been lately, but okay. uh, over time are really exposed to higher rates, you got to be careful with that. So, Dr. J, I want to I want to take what, what mm -hmm. Rob just said, right? Yes, we know that there are pockets of tech that needed to come down. We all know the kinds of stocks that we're talking about because we talk about them almost every single day on this program. Reasonably priced tech leads me to believe Rob is talking about the apples of the world. Okay. You think, Doc, yeah. that Apple is reasonably priced? Because I think most people would agree and say, yeah, I think it's reasonably priced. And it hasn't been able to get out of its own way either. Why? What's the message in that? Well, um, lately, Scott, uh, an awful lot of folks have been chasing money into the likes of Target, Home Depot, um, and the banks, quite frankly. And a lot of the money that uh, is in Apple probably has stayed there. They probably haven't tapped into that, but they've certainly exited a lot of those high flyers in Kathy Wood's portfolio, for instance. Um, so what, what I look at, Scott, is volatility. I always look at volume and volatility. And um, right now, volatility is quite high in Target, quite high in Home Depot, much higher than it was just two weeks ago. Um, so that tells me, Scott, that um, after these nice pops that both those stocks enjoyed, as well as, you know, some of the uh, bank stocks uh, in this last uh, uh, earnings cycle, I think a lot of people uh, not necessarily are nervous, but they're certainly trying to lock in some of those gains. Meanwhile, an Apple, which is down from those 140-ish highs back down into the mid-120s right now, um, is one of those stocks, just as you said, that uh, isn't particularly exciting right here at this level, but its volatility is near the lows of this cycle. Um, Apple volatility into its earnings was significantly higher, 38 or 40 percent, and now it's like 22, 23 percent volatility in Apple. So when I see that, Scott, it's telling me people are not nearly as worried about Apple, um, but they are not necessarily worried, but they're more uh, likely to be using protective strategies in those other stocks, the retailers and banks that I spoke of just a moment ago. That's not a bad thing, but it does uh, portend exactly what you're laying out. And that is that perhaps some of, or Krinsky as well, that some of those techs are just going to kind of be sideways like this. Not necessarily a lot of downside. Um, is it as good as it gets? If it is, knowing that the spending that the government is sending our way is going to continue for years, not for months, but for years. Um, that is more or less sort of like that hand of the Fed underneath the market to me, Scott. That's what I'm looking at. And that's why I think people have a comfort level with some of those um, mature tech stocks like Apple and probably are looking for a little more protection in those um, emerged or emerging tech stocks like the Kathy Woods art portfolio. I mean, Doc, the, the bottom line is, at least as I see it, 
is you're not going to get any traction or, or real something to build off of in the NASDAQ until Apple gets traction of its own. It's what is it? I don't know. Is it 11 percent or something like that of the 100? It's the it's the, the mm -hmm. biggest stock in the market. If the biggest stock in the market and certainly one of the most popular can't get traction in its own right, then how in the world is the Nasdaq going to start moving higher? And maybe the Nasdaq doesn't for a while, Scott. I've I've contended uh, for weeks now that we're likely to see this continue until the end of the second quarter, that Apple and many of its mature tech competitors, um, whether they, or not they make iPhones and iPads and computers, but the other mature tech stocks are likely to be pretty sideways between now and the end of June. From there out, I think you might see some outperformance out of this. But short term, yeah, I think the fact that the vol is only one or two percent off of its lows of volatility to me says that it's just smooth over the next several weeks, maybe six weeks, Scott. And then we'll see what it looks like after that. I suspect, though, that those others that I mentioned, and you've seen it in the retailers. Um, it's not just the cryptos, you know, Elon giveth and Elon taketh away. It's these, you know, uh, North Face with VFC or uh, no, uh, KSS or any of these this week, Ralph Lauren, that have had, you know, just spectacular dumps after their earnings were reported. And yet a number of the other retailers were flying high. So when you look at that, it says to me that uh, that's the difference between, you know, just mature tech and some of these companies that are so exposed to the reopening in particular of their stores. That was the that was the biggest, most, I guess you can use the word, Rob, distressing sign, wasn't it? And we knew it at the time because we talked about it at the time that you had so many of those fang stocks, the mega cap tech stocks, absolutely knocked the cover off the ball in their earnings. I mean, you couldn't get any better than some of these reports were. And the stocks did nothing. We should have paid closer attention to that, to think that maybe the after effect of that, Rob, was going to have a run on effect and it was going to last for maybe longer than we thought. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think we were there. We were talking about the, this rotation for, for a little bit, Scott, as you, as you know, on, on this show. And you have to kind of look for market price action to see when there's, when there's a change. And granted, one week does not does not make a change uh, in, in these names. But I think if, if you're a long-term believer in these strategies, as we still are, what we're saying is put some of your assets, or keep in this case, some of your assets in high-quality tech and look for alpha in some of the places that we've been talking about that are positively exposed to the economic reopening, like energy, that are, had a rough week energy, that are also positively exposed to rising rates, like financials, right? And that are positively exposed to some level of inflation, like materials. So we are more barbelling our orientation. I don't think in, in the environment that we invest in, which is individual investors, that you can completely take all your weight off the one, the one side of the portfolio. So, and frankly, at the margin, adding when it looks like there's better price action to the highest quality names, I would argue Google is more exposed to the economic reopening than probably any of the stocks that you could be invested in in that space.
and it's been one of the best performers. So you got to be surgical, you got to be thoughtful, and that's what and that's what we're doing. And then you got to think thematically. You know, we're talking a lot. We added Bitcoin today. It was down 10 percent when we okay. added it. I don't okay. know where it is right now. But the reality of it is, so, is you have to use volatility to express your long term themes. I, I'm going to ask you I, I want to ask you guys about Bitcoin. And I'm glad Rob brought it up because I wanted to go there, too. Is it no surprise? Maybe it shouldn't be a surprise that, you know, Bitcoin's at thirty seven thousand now. Um, and as that has come down. Maybe that's brought a little more volatility in the stock market itself. I'm looking at it today as Bitcoin goes lower. The S&P is about to go negative. The Nasdaq's been negative and the Dow has moved well off its highs of the day. Right. Didn't when we started the show, the Dow was up better than 200 points. Where is it now? It's like, what is it? Was it up 160? There's there's Bitcoin. It's at it's at 37, 37,000. Yeah, I've got Rob Seachin just said he bought more. Steve Weiss, you sold it saying you've never been a believer in it. I've got Bryn buying more Coinbase and also buying the Grayscale Ethereum Trust. So Bryn, why don't you take us out here on on Bitcoin? Tell me about these moves that you've made and what about this correlation to the S&P 500 if you believe there is one? Well, I mean, correlation and causation are two different things. You cannot argue the correlation has been very tight recently. I think for investors in Bitcoin, you have to understand, like going back to 2016, which in the Bitcoin space is like going back 100 years, you've had, including last week, seven 30 percent plus drops in in just Bitcoin alone. The other more fringe currencies, I'm sure a lot more. And so I think that investors that are investing in this very nascent asset class, whether it's an Ethereum or Bitcoin or more blockchain, have to understand that 30% drawdowns have been very, very consistent um, just since 2016. So, you know, I bought Ethereum earlier this week when you had this, you know, Bitcoin or the crypto flash crash, because I think I believe that, you know, Ethereum, where you continue to have, you know, decentralized finance, where you continue to have all of these applications built on top of Ethereum, Ethereum is where the majority of adoption is going. And so I, I'm a, I like the space. And so I took advantage because it had a huge sell off. Um, that being said, you know, you have to um, put your big boy pants on if you're going to invest in this space because, you know, the drawdowns can be, <laughs> you know, can take your breath away. Weiss, you sold it, right? Um, and it doesn't sound like you're a believer in it in, in any way, shape or form. I'm, I mean, I don't know why you bought it in the first place, but what is this move of selling it? today say so it was always a small speculative position i've always been clear about that i've been equally clear that i didn't believe in it it's not going to be a currency can you imagine walking into a store today and say i'll take that tesla for hundred thousand dollars and they say okay bitcoin thirty thousand give me three and a third of them and then five minutes later before the ink's even dry either the dealers lost thirty percent or you've got to pay thirty percent more it's ridiculous. It's never going to be a currency, period, end of story. Now, it can be an investable class. It's not a store of value. I don't see where the store of value is. I don't even understand that, frankly. So what you're betting on is the greater fool theory. Somebody's going to come in and think it's worth more than you. And that's okay, because that's what we do in all our investments. But think of it for what it is, which is that it's just another thing to invest in. It's slightly better than tulip bulbs, which had the same type of, you know, uh, 
adulation by those who love them, who said these are great, they're scarce, but it's not going to be a currency. You have digital currencies coming from every sovereign, okay, okay, including the U.S., which has been working on them for a while. So forget about that. You want to buy it, take a flyer on it, go ahead. But I'm not there. It's a distraction. I want Rob I want to give. I want to give. So, so Rob, I mean, you, you want to defend it? And then, Doc, I, I know you, you probably want to also, and I don't have much time. So, Rob, be quick, and then, and then Doc, please. Okay, so listen, Bitcoin's a risk asset. It's, it's, it's not a currency. It's a bet on the blockchain platform. Cryptocurrencies could, should continue to bet, benefit from the network effect as more people get involved with this digital transition to a trustless system that can be very disruptive to banks, very much like uh, the disruption that happened to retailers with the internet. The success of Google, Amazon, Facebook benefited from increased internet usage. And I believe that this whole this whole blockchain phenomena is a disruptor. Okay, and we are in an environment where this week, Elon Musk. Uh, last week, Elon Musk tweets. This week, J.P. Morgan says institutions are selling in mass. And China says, um, you know, they're going to restrict the currency. Guess what? They've been saying that since 2017. More and more people are going to use digital currencies and Bitcoin and Ethereum are the blue chips in the space. So if you're going to bet on that ecosystem, you have to start somewhere. And I just completely disagree with the notion that there is not going to be value that comes out of this. Could these be the the AOLs and some of the lesser performers as we continue to evolve the blockchain, uh, the blockchain uh, payment system? Yeah, they could be. But this is what we have to make bets today in this ecosystem. Yeah, well, I mean, making a bet at 60,000 is a lot different than making a bet at 37,000. Doc, wrap it up for me quick, please. what we did today. And like Steve said, just one more thing. I view this as a very tactical small play. When we put it in portfolios, we're thinking one or two percent with huge optionality if it's successful. If it goes to zero and an investor can't take a two percent vol in their overall portfolio, then I don't know why they're investing at all. Doc, Scott, you don't I think need the, uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum. Sorry, sorry, Doc. Doctor I just J. say you don't Doctor need Bitcoin J, please. for blockchain. Yeah, the other doctor, not Dr. W. Um, So what we've got, Scott, is, yes, it is an asset class. It's an asset that gathers its value by its scarcity. Um, The reasons for volatility are both the combination of influencers like Mr. Musk, um, influencers like Janet Yellen and the IRS in the past 24 hours, um, but also uh, there's a host of the younger, the millennials that are in here trading this, and a lot of them, Scott, are availing themselves of that 20 to 1, 50 to 1 leverage that they get in these offshore exchanges. That's why you see that waterfall when it breaks through 40,000 and it just goes to the downside, for instance, because they're short a lot of puts or because they're levered long in the futures. So I think this is something we'll have to continue to put up with. Um, to Steve's point, do I think it should be used as a currency? No, but I do think it is an asset mm-hmm, class. Mm-hmm. And to Bryn's point about Ethereum, Scott, yeah, that is the one that you really, eventually it will flip. They call it the flippening. Eventually it will surpass uh, Bitcoin because of those smart contracts and the 
ecosystem that is built on top of those. So on significant dips like this, yes, I'm a buyer of Ethereum, ETH, and just a hodler of Bitcoin. I'm not adding to it here. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're, uh, we'll see if it gives up 37,000 uh, today. We'll watch it closely. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, NVIDIA announcing a four for one stock split. Our big question now, is it going to open the door to the Dow? Talk about that next. Plus, Kelvin Beecham is back with us today. We're going to talk with him. Uh, he's a philanthropist, too, by the way. He'll join us later in the hour. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Pfizer and BioNTech are promising to send 2 billion doses of their COVID vaccine to middle and low-income countries. Pfizer CEO expects to provide a billion doses this year and another billion in 2022. Prices for the doses remain unclear. Amazon has temporarily stopped construction on a warehouse in Connecticut. That is after a seventh noose was found on the building site. FBI agents are now working with local and state police to find the culprits, and a $100,000 reward is being offered for information leading to arrests. One of the country's largest newspaper chains is being taken over by a hedge fund. Tribune Publishing, parent of the Chicago Tribune and the Baltimore Sun, is being bought by Alden Global Capital. The deal is worth about $630 million. Alden was already Tribune's largest shareholder. And dogs that can sniff out COVID infections are going to work. A university in Bangkok is using trained Labrador retrievers to screen hundreds of sweat samples per day, including people without symptoms. Snipper dogs coming to the U.S. as well. Tonight on the News with Shepard Smith, see how dogs will be used at a festival in Miami to keep the event safe. And apparently, Scott, they've also used these same type of canine dogs to um, test fans at Miami Heat games. So they might be more common. All right. Well, I'll look forward to that story tonight. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. All right. Let's get to Josh Lipton now. Has breaking news on Apple. It's CEO Tim Cook testifying today. Josh Lipton. Scott, that's right. Apple CEO Tim Cook is on the stand as we speak right now. He arrived at that courthouse in California this morning where, of course, Apple and Epic are battling it out. Uh, He went through an underground garage, uh, Scott. So we didn't get great visuals, though. As you can see there, Cook did throw up a peace sign to reporters. As I mentioned, he's on the stand right now. Lots of talk about security. Cook saying 
saying iOS is far more secure than the competition. And remember the backstory there, Epic is trying to force Apple to allow it to install alternative app stores on iPhones. And so Cook is really trying to make the point here that's a potential problem from a security standpoint for his users. Is the app store profitable? Yes, it is, Cook is saying on the witness stand, though he did not offer a specific number. He did say that an Epic witness who, remember, said the store's operating margins clocked in at almost 80 percent. Cook saying that is not accurate. Apple, of course, does not break out profit and loss statements for each segment of its services division. There's just one profit and loss statement for the company. Now, by the way, the Epic lawyers are asking questions. So this is when it could get a lot more interesting. We'll, of course, be watching the headlines and bringing them them to you as they cross. Scott, back to you. All right. Appreciate that, Josh Lipton. Thank you very much. Let's talk NVIDIA now, announcing a four-for-one stock split today. Also set to report earnings next week. All right. So, Bryn, here's how we want to tackle this. Not just looking forward to the earnings, but looking forward to see if NVIDIA could actually be added to the Dow. If, if you take a look, right, remember Apple split its stock, then got added to the Dow. NVIDIA's market cap, $375 billion. Intel, 228. Cisco, 222. Salesforce, 207. IBM, 129. Why shouldn't NVIDIA be in the Dow? I mean, when, when you list those companies, you know, NVIDIA is the one that's really growing outside of Salesforce. And so I think it'd be a wonderful addition for those folks that, you know, invest in the Dow 30. Um, so I think I think that would be great. Who knows if that will happen? But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I do think, though, the next week, though, the earnings of NVIDIA will be strong. But to me, what the overhang on the stock is, excluding today because of the four for one split, really is an arm. And whether that whether that acquisition can really happen, I don't. I think there's so many hurdles against that. Um, that being said, I think it's a great company, great founder CEO. Um, I'm a long-term holder, and I will buy more NVIDIA when the opportunity um, presents itself. Michael Farr, NVIDIA, 600 bucks, split the stock, go in the Dow. Right. Too early, Scott. I think it's too early. It's still a very growthy company. You know, I mean, the stock's still 21 times sales. Uh, I don't think there's enough there there. I think the volatility, when you mentioned all of the other companies that have been added to the Dow, those have been pretty stable, substantial companies. And it's not that NVIDIA isn't substantial, but it isn't all that stable, particularly if you see a market correction or a tech correction that continues. I think the Dow stays away from it for now. Well, I don't know. Intel, I don't know, you know, IBM, those stock prices haven't been all that stable. Rob Seachin, who just added to Intel. Their balance sheets are, their earnings have been. Okay. Yeah, hey, Rob? Scott, hey, Scott, we increased our weighting to Intel uh, because we thought it offered decent value. It's off 12% this quarter in trades at 13 times next year's earnings and has great free cash flow. And the demand should continue to expand while supply remains relatively tight across every end market from automotive to industrial to cloud computing and networking um and so the the weakness provided us an opportunity to add to our exposure and you know their earnings announcement provided some encouraging news uh that that management raised their full year guidance and mostly on the back end of a recovery in data center demand so you know, that's why we added it and think that it makes a lot of sense. It's a it's that quality growth at a reasonable price that we're thinking about. OK, we're going to take another break. We'll come back with John's unusual activity. And as we do take that break, let's show you the S&P sectors on this Friday. S&P has been teetering positive 
negative. It's hanging on to positive territory. Looks like two and a half points to me. And the financials are leading the way. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Dr. J, unusual activity. What do you see today? I'll make them, I'll make them quick, Scott. P-R-C-H. With the stock at about $17.50, uh, they came in buying the June 1750 calls. Big numbers. They d- traded about 7,500 of those, Scott. I'll probably be in this one two to three weeks. Second, T-Mobile. T-M-U-S is the symbol. They're buying the June 140 calls with the stock at about 136. I'll also note, Scott, that Vodafone, VOD, also seeing some strong activity. So that's two in the telecom space and then PRCH for the uh, home, if you will. Okay, good stuff. Dr. J, thank you very much. Coming up, NFL player and philanthropist and market participant Kelvin Beecham back with the committee today. We're going to talk about his latest cause, his portfolio, of course, some football and more. We'll do it next. All right, our next guest is raising awareness for global access to clean water, and that is when he is not blocking some of the fiercest pass rushers in the NFL. Kelvin Beecham, an offensive lineman for the Arizona Cardinals, joins us once again. We'll talk some stocks in a minute, but it's good to see you. Yes, sir. You too. Yeah, welcome back. So this World Vision Global 6K for Water is actually tomorrow. You mentioned how this cause was near and dear to you the last time you were with us. But tell us about this event tomorrow. Um, so I'm excited to, uh, to participate in the Global 6K tomorrow. Um, 6K is really 3.7 miles. Um, that's what usually um, young women and children usually walk to, to go and get their water. Um, in, in developing countries. So I'm excited to, to bring awareness to this cause and, and, and be a part of it as well. So I'm going to be walking tomorrow. Um, I'm excited to make sure that other people know about it. Oh, I was, uh, okay. So I was going to ask you if you're actually going to be doing the walk as well, and you, and, and you definitely are. People can get information at teamworldvision.org. I just want to let people uh, know that. So I'm glad to see that you're participating. You're also into trying to fix the digital divide as well. The FCC launching its emergency broadband benefit program, uh, what, 10 days or so uh, ago, and you're a member. You know, excited about that program. Uh, excited to see that, you know, we understand that the digital divide is real. We know that it's continuing to, to impact our young people all across the, the nation right now. Uh, so to be able to, to be a part um, and, and help push what the FCC is doing uh, with this particular program, a million families, households signing up for it is, is a huge deal. Um, and excited to, to see more people sign up for this uh, this emergency program right now. All right. We, we appreciate all, all of your efforts on, on both of those fronts. Let's talk some investing, if we could. Uh, the market's been, <laughs> market's been a little dicey. How, how are you feeling about it? You know, you, we, we talked last time. You love the cloud stocks. You have some Roblox. How are you feeling about things right now? You know, it's been, uh, it's been topsy-turvy. You know, it's been, it's been interesting over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm holding my position uh, in Roblox and, and not moving from, from where I'm at. I'm happy with what, uh, what's happening. I'm happy with the trend of, of what young people are doing uh, within this particular category. I'm young as well, so I'm excited to see it continue to grow. 
So Bryn, who is on our investment committee uh, today, Bryn, you just bought more Roblox, which, by the way, is up 83 percent since the IPO. Any words of wisdom for uh, Mr. Beecham, Bryn? So, you know, Roblox, it is the only publicly traded gaming company like this that's out there. You know, they have over 8 million developers, 40 million users. They needed to go public to expand internationally. And I think most people just don't understand this company, which I love that, by the way. Um, Dave Bozinski, who's the founder CEO, this company is just getting started. And so I think that there's great days ahead. It's a, it'll make $1.5 billion in revenues this year. They have positive EBITDA. It's a real company. And so I, I'm so happy to see um, someone like yourself own it as well. And, Thank and, you so much. And, Kelvin, you know, before I let you, before I let you go, um, I'd love to get your take on Bitcoin. You know, more and more pro athletes are talking about it. They're talking about it on social media. Some are trying to get paid in it. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. You know, I'm, I love the space. Uh, I've been following it for some time. Uh, you know, got um, told about it by a guy, Russell Okun, who's, who's huge into it uh, back in 2016. Um, I'm long on DeFi, so not only Bitcoin and Ethereum, but also huge on DeFi. I think the DeFi is just um, as important as, as anything that's going on within um, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, decentralized finance. So excited about the, the ecosystem as a whole. Um, you know, uh, it's been fun to, to hear all the, the banter that's going on, whether it's social media or, you know, on some of these shows. But I think it's here to stay. Um, and I think, you know, if, if you're smart, you, you take the time to learn about it and learn about this ecosystem. And I'm betting on the entire ecosystem. It's funny because I was I was literally thinking of Russell Okun. He's probably been the most vocal, at least NFL player on, on Twitter about it. Do you own any Bitcoin? Yes, I do. And don't right. plan well, on seven. We will continue to follow. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you about it next time. Good luck with the efforts uh, this weekend on that walk uh, tomorrow. Perfect. Thanks so much, Scott. All right. That's Kevin Beecham joining us once again. Ask Halftime's coming up next. Send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back after this. All right, let's do this. Answer some questions now. Bryn, I have a video question for you first. Let's watch. Hey, good morning. This is Tim from Dallas, Texas. Just got finished working out. But I'm thinking one Amazon, five Teslas, or 25 Apples. What am I going to do with about $3,500? Have a blessed day. Thanks, Tim. Uh, you as well. Thanks, Thank you Tim, for the question. from Dallas. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great all question. Right, uh, in, yeah, I think I would do all three. I would do all three, and I would do that via the queues. Um, those three companies make up about 23% of the queues. Um, you could buy those and then also have about 80% in other things, because I think those three names, especially Tesla, can be really volatile. Okay, crafty answer from you, Brent. All right, Dr. J, a video question for you. Watch. Hi, Halftime Gang. It's Elodie in London. Love the show. With the increase in manufacture of EVs, at some point, EV batteries are going to need to be recycled. Which companies are best placed to benefit from this recycling? Thanks. Okay, Doc, sure, it's EV a great battery question from, uh, recycling. What do you think? Yeah, it's a great question from London, Scott. And uh, you know I'm involved with a company called American Battery. Um, anybody that is recycling 
these lithium batteries is going to do exceedingly well. That new Ford, I just signed up for the Lightning yesterday, Scott, on the wait list for that Ford F-150 Lightning. They all need lithium, uh, nickel, and so forth, cobalt. And you get that from recycled batteries. I think it's a great point that the lady from London just made. Okay, thank you for that, Steve Weiss. Jack in Kansas City wants to know which is the better buy right now, Target or J&J? I think it's Target. It's the one I own. J&J, while it's lauded for their transparency, actually is one of the least transparent companies out there. Just witness their keeping talc on the market for 40 years, despite knowing it causes cancer, and then taking it off under the dark night two years ago. So I think Target, I like the CEO much better than, uh, than Gorski. I'd rather own that. They're just doing great things and will keep growing. All right, Michael Farr, question from Allah in New Jersey. What do you think? Home Depot declared a $20 billion buyback. Is it time to buy that stock as a result? Allah, I think the stock has been good. The stock's been strong. I prefer Lowe's. It's a 24% discount to Home Depot, 19% discount to the S&P 500. Executing well, I prefer Lowe's. All right, final trades are next. All right, final trades. Doc, what do you got? Uh, VIP shops, Scott. VIPS is the symbol. It's online discount shopping in China. Stock's been sold off pretty hard. I bought it during the show, and I intend to send sell calls against it in the next uh, couple days. All right, a little in-show action. I like that, Dr. J. Thank you very much. Yes, Good sir. weekend to you. Michael Farr. Thank you, sir. To you as well. I loved Facebook's quarter. Love Facebook's quarter. Love that quarterly report. 21 times earnings. Growing those earnings at 16.5%. That's a huge premium to the S&P 500 earnings growth. I like this company long term. It's a core hold for me. All right, Weiss, you bought some, uh, you bought some more Facebook as well. You think it's about to break out. What's your final trade, Steve? Volkswagen, the cheapest EV company in the world, and they'll be the largest producer next year. Seven times earnings. Okay, Bryn? Um, buy Coinbase here and then selling the 270 calls, collecting $20. Nice. All right. Rob Seachin, just a name. RCD, equal weight consumer discretionary right. ETF, looking to next week. Good weekend, everybody, all of you watching as well. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.